hello, 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 everyone. I am so excited that you have decided to spend your evening with me, see more, the host of What's Really Going On, Blog Talk Radio Show. I hope that you all have had a fantastic Friday so far with family and friends. I hope you are still practicing social distancing, but I do hope that you are enjoying this time that you have with your family and friends. I am super excited tonight because we have a very special guest. I call her my little sister and my very uh, close friend. Um, Even though we are not related by blood, I do consider her my little sister. Um, And she and I feel honored that she has decided to share her story with me. Her name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of information about Mallory. Mallory was born in January 1990 as a little boy to teenage parents, the second of their five sons. This story is about transpiration and transformation. Her parents always described her as their delicate child. One of the five sons that was very feminine, soft-spoken, and never into the masculine things like her older brother or younger brothers. To her parents' credit, they always respected femininity and her expression of being girly or delicate. Join me for this up-close-and-personal chat with Mallory. And I am so excited to welcome Miss Mallory Jenna Robinson. Hello. Hey there, Mallory. I'm so glad you are here with me tonight. Thank you so much, sis. I'm so happy to be here, too. I feel so honored. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming. And just before we get started, I want to ask that anybody in the view, I mean, I'm sorry, in the queue, if you decide to join in the conversation at any point, you just press number one. All right. So, uh, Mallory. Okay, so um, we want to hear your story from the beginning. Um, And one of the things I think uh, most of our listeners probably want to know is when you actually um, decided um, that you were going to transition or when you felt a little different and all these things. So I think we should just start from the very beginning. Okay. I mean, the way the biography that you gave pretty much, like, is how things happen. My parents were very young um, when they had my oldest brother, and then they had me. And um, and so I was the second. And, you know, it was, you know, my childhood was pretty good, and I was truly grateful for the experiences that I had. Um, I mean, my dad is, like, very you know, old school kind of black masculine. Uh, If you think of like back in the 80s, like NWA and all that, you know, kind of giving you that vibe of the type of personality he had. Um, I grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, so very deep south. And I don't know, like growing up, I just always had this sense of like acceptance from them. Like there was like nothing I couldn't tell them. There was nothing I couldn't share with them and open up about. And I can remember like, around the age of, like, three or four, and I just remember being, like, uh, not wanting to, like, do masculine things such as, like, going outside and playing, you know, basketball or 
t-ball or things like that that was very like active and I was more like I wanted to be inside and I wanted to like be around my mom and I wanted to like cook and like clean and things like that and so you know um around the age of five um probably I would say it was 1995 it was probably about February I hadn't started kindergarten yet and I remember being like you know what um you know what I was just like I'm honestly um, looking forward to kindergarten, but I felt like I was born in the wrong, but like, I just felt something was off. So I was, I was like, oh, I don't really feel like I'm a boy. And so they was like, well, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I feel like I'm a girl. And so I was like, I want to be a little girl. And so my parents was like, okay. So they let me like grow up my hair and they let me like wear like long t-shirts, you know, and this was like, again, mid-90s, you know, mid-90s is, you know, very conservative, and they let me, like, be me and express myself, and I did that for, like, a good five or six months, and then kindergarten started, and so when I got into kindergarten, that's, like, when, like, the official gender norms kicked in, so it was, like, I can remember being at PE, and the PE coach being, like, no, no, sweetie, you can't stand in this line, you're a little boy. You can't be over here with the girls. And so I remember going home to my parents, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, what are they saying? And, they, and so my parents were just like, well, you know what, we're just going to play it their way. Because it was like there was no definition for transgender. You know what I mean? There was no definition right. for that. So it was just like they thought maybe at the very least, oh, we'll entertain this as a phase. You know, we entertained it. And now basically – What's happening is, you know, I, I I have to be a little boy in school. And so, you know, that's why I said, you know, I wanted to make sure that I went to school and started behaving as much as I could as a little boy. But that was easier said than done, you know what I mean? Because right. I just found myself still being pulled over and over and over again to feminine things. And so as I started getting older, uh, again, I wouldn't want to do, like, my oldest brother, he was into swimming and sports and baseball and all of that. And they would be like, why, you know, like your older brother? And my parents would be like, oh, you know, he's our delicate child. That was the pronouns they used at that time. Like, oh, he's our delicate child. You know, he doesn't like those kind of things. And they would be like, well, don't you think that's weird? You know, like, he doesn't want to do those things. And they was like, no, like, this is just how he's always been. I've always been very soft-spoken, very feminine, very delicate. And so um, fast forward to about 2006. I was 16, and I will, I'm sorry, going back in 2003 when I was 13, I came out as gay. I was like, oh, I'm gay. And my family was really supportive. They was just like, you know, we love you. Be careful. Um, We're still in the deep south. You know, people and aren't going to always agree with it. And so for me, I was kind of like, okay, you know what, like, I own my truth. And fortunately, the kids that I went to school with, I had known them since kindergarten, Charlotte, so they, I didn't really experience bullying or anything. And then That's when I got into, yeah, exactly, that was what you would expect, you know, but everybody was so cool, you know, and the, at the back in the day, you know, the term sissy, it wasn't used 
towards me as a nigga, but they'd be like, hey, look, 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 there she go, you know, like that, or Georgina, because my first name was George. And so they would refer to me as Georgina. Like, But it wasn't like bullying because of the fact that um, they were really cool with me. Like I could go to the school dances, dance. Like I wasn't, there was no like negativity stuff left on my locker. There was nothing like that. And then when I became 16, um, Tyra Banks, um, she had a show out called America's Next Top Model, and one of her um, her contestants was trans, and she had actually helped her with her transition. So I was watching Tyra Banks' episode about Isis King, and, you know, she was talking about how she was trans and how she had been born male, and she transitioned. And, like, for me, that light bulb went off. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is this is what it is. I was like, I'm not gay, I was like, I am trans. And so then when I, you know, I sat down with my parents and I was like, I'm transgender. And it was April 28, 2006. I can remember it till like it was the day because Charlotte, if I had not came out as like owning my truth at that moment, I would not be here talking to you. Because I was feeling like, you know, even though I had this supportive family and this accepting family, sis, you know, like, I still felt like there was still something missing. And right. so I told them, and they was like, okay, you know, we stand with you, we stand with you. And so I was like, okay. And then, but then we had to deal with the issue that we dealt with once before, which was school. So what does that look like? How are we going to navigate through that? And this time, I, you know, I told my parents, I was like, I can't go back. I can't, like, suppress it. I can't hide it anymore. I can't pretend like this is going away. And, like, they was like, okay, we're going to go talk to the school. And my school was really supportive. Um, you know, they was really supportive. Like, I um, I was able to start dressing as a girl. I was able to wear blouses and jeans. The only thing was I couldn't wear, like, skirts and dresses during school hours. But if it was, like, a school event after school, like a dance or a game, I could dress. I could wear a dress, I could wear a skirt. And so it was really, you know, powerful for me to, you know, see that. And it was really great because, like, my school was really supportive for the most part. Like, I couldn't go to, like, the girls' restrooms, but I could go to, like, the nurses' restroom. And that was really great for me because I, I felt like, okay, at least there's some support. And, I mean, I will admit, like, not everybody was, like, 100%. Like, it wasn't, like, all you know, flowers and roses. I mean, you know, you had some kids who were conservative that was kind of like, oh, my gosh, like, what is he doing? Like, you know, um, you. I even had, like, a couple of uncles, you know, that were, like, not okay with it, you know, that, like, thought my parents yeah. were crazy. And let me like, ask how, you, oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. And let me ask you this. Um, your brothers, because you had four brothers, were any of them in high school with you during the time that you were in high school? Um, um, and... Um, Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I'm, so, oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say um, the oldest one would have been about to graduate high school when I transitioned, and the, okay. the one who, uh, there's one like two years younger than me, and he would have been about eighth grade. So the the oldest one would have been still in high school with me. Okay, okay. So they were they were very supportive to you. Everybody within your household was pretty supportive of you transitioning. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, everyone was, like, super supportive, and it was really great. It was really great, sis. 
It was it was oh. really great. Like I I love my brothers. I'm a daddy's girl. I'm a mommy's girl. Um, and I am so thankful for that. But I mean, of course, there were some family members so that were not okay. They thought my parents were crazy. Like, how can you support this? Like, you're confusing him. You need to go to church more. Um, but I was fortunate that those weren't my that wasn't my immediate family. So I didn't have to see them that often. And it took my grandparents some time, you know, to get adjusted to everything, um, especially with pronouns, because I realized when I transitioned that how important the pronouns she, her, hers was, was to me. And so initially, like, even though they were supportive of me transitioning, they didn't know how to, like, they, they didn't know how to use the pronouns. And so that was like a battle for a while, you know, trying to get everyone on board with the pronouns because they had been so used to saying he and him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. So, okay, you know, so, it, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so through high school, you you got to, to go through the dances and all that kind of stuff. And it was, um, how, how did they do with those? I know you said, like, for after school activities and stuff like that, you were able to wear pretty much whatever you wanted to. But when it came to, like, the dances and all that stuff, were you able to as well? Yeah, you know, I was able to dress as I wanted for the dances, of course, within, like, the school dress code. And actually, I always like to give my classmates a kudos because um, for prom, kind of fast-forwarding to um, senior prom in particular, they actually got me a date for prom, my classmates. I know. It was really cool. It really t- At first, I thought it was, like, a prank, like, for real. I was like... What you know, um, and they was like, no, they was like, it was a guy who was homeschooled, so he had hadn't really had like the high school typical high school experience, and he wanted to go to prom, and so I mean, and there were other girls that didn't have dates, you know, that's what's always like right. that touched me because I was like, you know, you could have asked someone else, but the fact that you all thought that, and he was like really cool with it too, and I really got to experience, you know, the okay. typical prom. I got to take my picture in the drape um, with the necklace and stuff. And so I always like to give them credit because, you know, they, they, they were good. They were a good group of people. Yeah. It sounds like you had a really good support system through high school. And then I know, of course, um, you, you go off to college. Yes. And so what was your college experience like? Um. Freshman year, so I moved to Jacksonville, Florida to do my freshman year of college in Jacksonville at Jacksonville University, and that was kind of my reality check where I realized, you know, kind of like Dorothy says, I'm no longer in Kansas. I was like, I'm no longer in my little safety bubble because everyone came from different parts of the country, so, you know, they didn't have an idea of trans, trans and being transgender. They were not the most, um, right. you know, they were like, it's, you know, some would be like, oh, like, what is, oh, I think that's a guy, you know, and, oh, um, you know, that's weird, like, why are you dressing like that, and I'm not going to, or some of the guys would be like, I'm not going to talk to you, and, or even if a guy was just like saying, hey, they'd be like, oh, you gay, why are you talking, you know, and it was really hard, right. it was really hard because I hadn't experienced that before. So kind of yeah. ironic because you would have thought like in middle school and high school is where the bullying would have happened, um, right. but it happened like in college. 
And so I finished out that first year, but I didn't go back. Okay. So now I know you. I know you have like double masters. So I'm just trying to figure out. So you left there, and did you do it? Did you do your rest of schooling online, or did you? um, I I I moved back home. I transferred back home and kind of back again, back into like my little safety nest. And um, I went to Huntington College and um, finished out college there. And it was great to see classmates from high school and stuff like that. And um, and there I um, obtained my double bachelor's in biology and history uh, with an emphasis on education. And then kind of fast forward, that's when I met you (laughs) (laughs) when we were teaching. So then I went into teaching and um, met you, and we just really clicked and still kept in touch even after I wasn't teaching there anymore. And and I went on to teach four more years, and, you know, and and now I work, I moved to Los Angeles, California a year ago, and... um, and I work as the engagement specialist and service navigator for trans health at the LGBTQ Center Long Beach and and building my life here, and it is amazing. So I feel like it's been this long journey, but I finally feel like I'm in a place of, like, growth and healing and hope and optimism, and it feels really good. Yeah, I know every time I talk to you, every time I see you, um, like online on Facebook, all smiles when I see surrounded around uh, surrounded by a bunch of people that I know are a great support system for you. Yes, California, um, and of course we we stay in touch through Facebook and all that kind of stuff because you know I get on you about posting yes, certain things. <laughs> <laughs> I know sometimes uh, when I have my down moments, and you'll always lift me up and send me these long messages that I read. Always thank you so much, you know. Yes, and I appreciate you um, telling us everything. Um, it's one thing we didn't talk about, I know, and I'm not sure, and I'm just going to ask you, you did get married. Um, and I you were married did. Before. Yeah, so that was a, that no, was a pretty. No, we can talk about it. No, yeah. Oh, okay. You know, it's okay. open, I told you I'm an open book. <laughs> right. Okay, so. Yeah, so uh, Oh, go ahead, sis. I'm sorry. Well, I'm going to let you tell. I'm going to let you tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you 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 knew my um my now ex husband. I was married. Um, I met my my ex um uh back in kind of like the ending of college, going um uh, right before I moved um to Florida. Uh, we met in like 2013 and um, dated, and um, and then we we moved to Florida, uh, Pensacola, Florida, and um, and was there for a while, and then we moved to Fort Walton Beach, Florida, which is where I met you, and he started working as a teacher's assistant, and then I started teaching, and um, when I first met him, he was very charming. Um, I remember I was talking about um, traveling or something like that, and he was like, oh, like, I've traveled. And I'm just thinking about that. And I wasn't even talking to him, but, like, he just got into the conversation. And I was like, okay, uh, why are you in my conversation? But anyway, you know, and he seemed really sweet and kind. And for the most part, at first, things were great, and we got along. And 
um, and dated, and it seemed like we had the same goals and interests and stuff like that. And I told him I was trans, um, transgendered, because um, at that point I was what was known as preoperative, so I hadn't had surgery at all. Um, so right. I was like, you know, and of course anybody that I get with, I always want to make sure I disclose to them that I'm transgendered because I don't want there to be any problems. And so I told him, and he was, you know, to his credit, he was accepting within himself that I was transgender, but he did not want his family to know. He was like, oh, my family's conservative. They're not going to be supportive. Um, We need to just keep this a secret. And fortunately, by this time in my transition, sis, I had been on hormones. So my body had changed a lot to where, like, I wasn't, they call it, in the trans community, they call it clocking. And clocking is basically like when someone can look at you and be like, "Mm, something don't look right with her. You know what I mean? Like, she kind of looks a little, "Mm," you know. And so Mm -hmm. I had gotten to that point in my transition where that wasn't happening. So he felt like, okay, well, you know, I know I support it, but, like, I don't want, like, I don't want you to broadcast it because I don't want to, like, have that attention and, you know, I guess out of loneliness and out of the need to please your partner, I agreed. But I felt a part of me then was kind of losing myself because I had never been ashamed before, you know, right. um, of who I was. I had always been very vocal. I had always had a very a family that fought for me and, and fought for my transition and I fought for myself. And so it was, it was, you know, different with kind of not feeling like I could talk about it. But I decided not to. Uh, and so I made that choice not to, and um, and so I guess that was always like kind of a resentment that I had. Um, but again, I didn't want to be alone. I because you know just kind of rewinding really quickly uh, when I did come out as trans. Um, you know, I can remember. You know, my parents were super supportive, but like one day, um, my dad was talking to my mom um, in their room and didn't realize I was in there. And uh, or I was standing outside the room. My dad was like, "Who's gonna love our daughter?" You know. And I, I remember that still to this day because I hadn't really thought about like romance, like serious romance, okay. until like I guess I met him. And so I guess for me, I was kind of thinking about what my father said was like, "Who's gonna love me?" So I was like, "Oh, well, he says he loves me, and if this is what he needs, then I will do that. I will do this right. for him, and not really say anything." Um, and then, like, you know, and then uh, we got engaged, and um, he wanted to get married right away, but I wanted to wait. At that point, we had been together about two years, and I just wanted to wait a whole nother year because um, I just wanted to make sure that we both knew what we were doing. And so we did. We waited a year, and then we got married. And then it seems like right after we got married, which you were there at the wedding and everything, which I appreciate you coming out, and when you, but after we got married, it was, different. Like I I felt like he became more controlling. I've always been a very passive person. Um, I was voted most friendly in high school. So I've always been very passive and a people pleaser and I don't like to rock the boat and, and stir things up. And so, um, so I would always agree with a lot of the stuff that he wanted. And I feel like it just got more, it just became more and more types of things. Like he wanted to move basically anywhere like if he would lose a job he'd be like oh let's move here let's move here let's get a fresh start and I'm like okay um and so then that became a lot and then unfortunately um 
on Valentine's Day of 2018, um, he had came in, confessed that he had slept uh, with a, uh, what's known as a cisgender girl. So cisgender is someone who is born, uh, the, the sex that they were born is still the same gender that they identify as. So, for example, like I'm transgender, but you would be considered cisgender, um, Charlotte. Okay. And so he was like, oh, like I um, cheated on you with a girl who's cisgendered. And it hurt because for, at that point, almost five years, I thought that we had, I was enough. Um, at that point, I had had gender reassignment surgery in 2016 before we got married. So um, I thought that I was enough. And then, he, you know, he apologized. And as far as I had known, that was the first time he had, you know, been unfaithful, and so I was like, okay, I'll still give it another try. You know, we had just gotten married like 10 months before. So I was like, oh, my gosh, what does this look like me, you know, getting a divorce and I just got married. But then right. something just changed this, you know, and before I know it, um, girl, girl, that thing had the nerve, sis, to sit here and tell me. Some, he was going to go with his friends from, from school, from college, and they were going to go to, like, Vegas. This was in June of 2018. So I was like, okay, he's going to go visit them for the summer for a week. I'm going to go see my family back in Alabama because we were living in Florida at that time. So, girl, next thing I know, um, he calls me and was like, he brought up the girl, the girl that he had cheated on me with. He was like, oh, like, I think we should have an open marriage and, you know, I should hang out with her. And I was like, where is this coming from? Like, I thought we already put this to rest. And I was like, and at first because I had gained weight, I struggled with weight gain and weight loss throughout my life. And so uh, because I was heavier and I was feeling insecure for a moment, y'all, I almost said, yeah. But my mother told me, she said, don't you do that. Don't you give that man that kind of power. She said, because I'm telling you, she said, he will sit there and say, oh, but she allowed it. She allowed me to go see this girl. She agreed to it. So I thought about that, and I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't agree to it. And um, and he got mad, sis. Girl, he was like, are you effing serious? Da, da, da. And then he started saying things like, you should have been lucky I married you, because he's a Caucasian guy, and I'm a I'm an African-American trans woman. And he was like, you know, your kind of women, black trans women, y'all are – um, effable, you know, not lovable. You should have been lucky I married you. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, where is this coming from? And it really hurt right. my feelings. So then he, like, took all his stuff. He left. Um, and at first, again, I had no idea about anything, girl, the stuff that I would find out. But um, I, I had no clue what was going on. And then I found out that he had still been seeing the girl, that he was in Vegas with her. Um, that he had came and got his stuff and had went and lived with and moved in with her. Um, it was really traumatic. I just could not believe that we were going through this after being together for five years. I had never saw it coming. Um, he literally like abandoned me with everything, sis. Like the bills, um, just all of it. He had no concern, no care in the world. Um and then finally, you know, and it's interesting, I love the name of the show, it's like, you know, Healing Through Hurt. And it's true because I had to learn how to heal. I had to begin to heal because that was really the first traumatic thing. You know, like I kind of mentioned, like for the most part, I had a really good upbringing and good school experience, you know, except the minor and right. a few things in college. But this was like the first real kind of like adult thing where I was like, oh, like I have to figure out how to handle this 
And I just realized in that moment when it happened, and, and you know, you know, sis, when it's summertime, school is out, you know, yeah, you still get paid a little bit, but, you know, that doesn't do much. And so I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. So what I did was, sis, I took my car, I got downloaded the Lyft app, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to make me some extra money. And, um, right. and that's what I did, you know, and I, because I refused to give up my apartment. I refused to go back home to Alabama. I, you know, I was getting ready to go into my fourth year of teaching. And I was like, I refuse to give that up. And um, and so, you know, and I, I, I started losing weight, um, started getting healthier for me, and um, it, it felt really good. And then I started doing things. I started empowering myself. Like I turned off our um, – I, I canceled our cell phone plan um, that was in my name. And I canceled that, and, you know, then he starts saying things like, I, you know, the reason he left was because I was abusive to him and because I had turned off the cell phone. And I'm like, what? You know, and so it was just like lies and abandonment and the hurt, and I was like, wow, okay. And um, but I got stronger from it. I got stronger every day. I went working out, you know, going for me, you know, having a spiritual base. Um, that was really helpful. And then finally, last year, you know, at that point, we had been split for about probably about 10 months. And I had already made peace with it. We were going to get divorced. Like, I had already made peace with it. But I was also at the school year had started. And my fear was I didn't want to file for divorce while, you know, the school year was going and having to take off for that. So I was like, okay, I'll wait until the the school year is almost over. I'll file, so then that way, whatever happens, at least it'll be over the summer, and I can address it more. And so um, our what would have been our second year anniversary came up, um, and then I just went ahead and um, filed for divorce the next day. And um, I walked up some stairs, and I filed those divorce papers, and I thought, that, you know, because we hadn't really talked that much since he left, I thought, okay, this is going to be an easy process. He's going to get the papers, and that's going to be it. And since that was not it, honey, he fought me tooth and nail. And you were so supportive. Like, just kudos to you because you know there were moments when I was just, like, over it. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is never going to be over. And you was like, you got this. Don't give up. You know, and you and you and along with so many others, like really kept me uplifted, and 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 I really appreciate that because, um, you know, I mean, it was just it was just really a lot of you know a lot of a lot of crazy hurtful things. Like I was like, okay, I'm trying to get, I'm I'm paying for the divorce. I'm not even asking for anything because I just didn't even want to you know deal with it anymore. I just wanted to be over it and move on with my life. And he just kept fighting me, or like asking for a continuance. He kept postponing just anything he could do to, you know, not have to get a divorce. Like, he did not want a divorce. He wanted to be married and still be able to do what he wanted to do. Uh, And I just wasn't going to stand for it because I was like, I don't deserve that. Because at the end of the day, I wasn't perfect, but I wasn't, you know, unfaithful. I didn't, like, go out of my way to try to hurt you. But I got through it, and finally, last month, the divorce went through, and I finally feel this sense of freedom in me, and it just feels so good to have that chapter closed, and I'm just so happy that I got through on the other side, and it really showed me, like, how strong I was, you know, and people always told me, they was like, you are strong, they was like, you know, you came out as transgender during the Bush era in the Deep South, you know, um, that that takes a lot of courage, and I sometimes don't realize, like, the courage that I have 
until like I'm reminded of it because it's for me it's just like oh I'm just like doing what I need to do but I'm like I don't realize like the impact it has on other people so it's really great okay and I'm so proud of you for going through with all that and um, we talked a little bit last week and I just want you to um, because now you're in Long Beach and I just want you to um, tell everybody about your your time there and how I think you 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 um, said that was that was that's probably your forever place. Um, yeah. <laughs> so just I know tell us a little I'm bit so about it. Oh, so, you do out there at the um the center that you work out there. Tell us all about that too. Yeah, you know I so I decided um so when I filed for divorce, which was April thirtieth, twenty nineteen. The school year was getting ready to wrap up, and I was like, I knew I didn't want to, like, go back into teaching anymore because I had kind of felt like I had really experienced some great things with teaching, but I I don't know. I was my – something I had always wanted to go out to L.A. Uh, my older brother is in the Navy, um, stationed in San Diego, so he's been out here in California for years and would always tell me how great it is. And so I knew – I wanted to move out to L.A. Um, I just knew how diverse it was. I always felt like it was more liberal, and I would maybe have a better chance of potentially one day meeting a partner. This was even before I had met my ex-husband. and But I never had the courage. I guess, you know, it's funny we mentioned that word, but I guess I was always kind of, like, scared because I had always had my little safety nest. And the, the furthest I had moved from home was from Montgomery, Alabama, to Jacksonville, Florida, you know, my freshman year of college. But I, you know, finally decided, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, get the strength, and I'm going to move. I was like, I filed for divorce. I can, If I can do that, I can do anything. I was like, this is my time to go. I was like, you know, because even, you know, between, I think you remember, sis, I had actually came to L.A. while I was married to him. And so we came as tourists. And I remember, like, you know, talking about, oh, like, L.A. would be kind of cool to live. And he was like, oh, no, that's not really my scene. And, you know, and so I even, like, just little things like that, like, I was kind of like, mm. But for me, I had still always had this pull to moving out to L.A., Long Beach. Um, and so then fast forward, um, I, I decided to move. I told the school that I wouldn't be coming back. And I started packing up my things. It was very, like, I had just made that decision probably within, like, two or three months before I moved. And um, I, I, I was fortunate. I had a friend from college, from actually Jacksonville University, um, when I was um, a student there. Him and I were friends, and he had moved out here to be an actor. So he was like, yeah, like, you can come stay um, with me um, and things like that. So my dad and I took the moving truck, and we came out. And initially I was teaching for a private school um, just to kind of have something to support myself. And then I had also still had the Indeed job app saved. And I was like, oh, you know, because I, I had actually looked into um, LGBTQ jobs when I was living in Jacksonville um, professionally when I was teaching out there because I moved back to Jacksonville um, a few years with my ex, and that's where we had lived before um, we separated, and that's where I lived before I moved here um, to Long Beach. And so I actually put in for a couple of jobs out there in the LGBTQ community in Jacksonville, but nothing had ever came from it. And so um, basically what happened was, you know, I um, heard that the job was hiring. Um, I applied for it. And it was honestly, 
um, a very quick turnaround before I knew it. They were like, yeah, like, you know, let's get you out. I interviewed for it. It was the engagement specialist and service navigator for transgender health. And I was like, okay. Um, I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> I had no clue what I had never, because you have to remember when I was with him, I did not, even when you knew me, I never disclosed I was transgender. I never, like, yeah. posted stuff about it. I was because that was what he wanted. So me now getting into an environment where I would be embracing my transness, my truth, uh, was really like, okay. You know, and I, I just believed for me, I was like, Lord, I was like, there's a reason behind this. I was like, you know, for the past five, six years, I have, you know, been quiet about who I am. Um, I wanted to fit in, quote, unquote, be as normal, quote, unquote, as possible. And I was like, you know what, but this is my truth, and I don't want to, I don't want to hide who I am. And, you know, I got the job, and, um, and then I found myself just falling in love with the city of Long Beach. It's so diverse. It's, um, it's, I'm, it's right off the beach. I'm a beach girl. I love the beach. We used to go all the time as, as um, when we were kids. And so I found myself just loving it. And um, at the center, they, I, the trans health program, there wasn't really one. So my job was to kind of give the give the program some some life, girl, because it was, there was nothing really going on. <laughs> So I was like, let me go ahead and do this, and uh, I did, you know, and it was, I I started a clothes closet and a snack shack there, and I've now made sure that there's um, trans and non-binary events. Um, I do outreach, so um, any of our sex workers, um, adult entertainers, um, we make sure that they have um, safety um, protections such as, you know, um, condoms and lubrications and all that. So I, I do a lot, and it's been it's been so rewarding. Um, and within me taking this position, um, I found myself just standing in my truth more. And one of the things that I decided to do, um, which I, I had shared uh, publicly um, on Facebook, was, you know, acknowledging that I was transgendered. And I did want to, you know, apologize to you and not, you know, to you, but to anyone that I had met that I had never told not because I didn't feel like I couldn't trust you, but just because I had gotten so used to not saying anything. And so, but this had really made me open up and be like, okay, you know what, I am who I am. I'm still that same little five-year-old that was proud to walk around in my little long T-shirt and my long hair. I was that same 16-year-old that was proud to, you know, own my truth and stand in my truth and and, and, um, change up the structure of what, the school looked like and 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 you know and and that's what I've been doing and it's been really great and I finally feel like I've come into my own skin I turned 30 back in January and that was amazing and girl when I tell you I wish you could have been here um I know you were here in spirit but it was such a good turnout I had moved in June of 2019 and my birthday was in January and I had a good little turnout for my birthday and it was like and people was like you have impacted us so much. It was like, where did you come from? That's what everyone keeps saying. It's like, this girl just came out of nowhere. And you have just like brought so much, you know, into the community of Long Beach and the city of LA. And um, and it's been really great. And I'm so honored. And I just feel like God put me in this moment to be here, you know, and for the first time, I love teaching. I will always have a strong 
connection to teaching, but I feel like this is really my passion. And this but is I know also, I know also that you do a lot of teaching at the the center, right? And I know you said you you know you make you make sure that you know the sex workers and all that stuff are, are you know well educated and they have leads and and condoms and all that kind of stuff. Do you also teach about um, like the STDs? Um, do you, do you, do you include that in your teaching when you're at um, at the center? Yeah, you know, I do, and that's the kind. That's the cool thing. It's great that you mentioned that because it's true. I do still, to some extent, teach because I do diversity trainings as well. So I did a, which was pretty cool. I did a training for Sony PlayStation. Um, you know, I've done some for other different organizations. Just really going around, and even with the girls too, like. Like you said, teaching them about the different STDs. Um, when we do outreach, I do um, outreach trainings with our volunteers on how to make sure that they're safe. And and so I still do have that kind of, like, teacher capacity, too. So I guess in some ways teaching prepared me for this role because I've learned how to articulate. I've learned how to, you know, girls spot those, you know, how when we have those students that can be, you know, t- trying to test you, you know, I've learned that because sometimes with some of my girls, I love them, but, you know, they have some chips right. on their shoulders because they've had tough lives. And so, you know, it's like seeing that, I sometimes see like certain students that, you know, that came with, you know, troubled backgrounds and things like that. And so, and how to work with them and how to communicate with them. And those skills have helped me work with the population that I work with now. So it is to some extent, I still feel like I am teaching and inspiring and encouraging. And I appreciate you telling us um, all that, and it's a wonderful story, and I'm so glad that you have finally come into your truth. Um, we Thank are going to open for um, Q&A in just a few moments. Um, and so anybody who wants to call in and ask questions, you can um, press 1 and come in, and Mallory will be available to answer any questions that you may have. Absolutely. Hello. Okay, so it's Maria here. Um, why do I hear feedback? Hold on a second. Okay, let's try this again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that deal was, but uh, my gosh, where do I start? Um Wow, I guess I'll go all the way back to the beginning. (laughs) When (laughs) you said so much in a short amount of time, so I'm going to try to catch up here. Uh, When you were younger, at what age, I mean, what what did you feel when you knew that it was you and you had a loving, you know, family, parents, and you had your brothers and this and that? What did you feel? Um, was it some? Did you did you have any sisters or, or girls around, or was it just something that was tearing into your soul that you mm. knew that you were living? I guess you could say living in the wrong body. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, I I, I don't have any sisters. Um, I do have like my chosen sisters that I've met throughout my life. Um, so it was pretty much just my mom as the, like, female influence. I do have, like, some aunts um, and female cousins. Um, but for me, it was definitely, like, just 
I felt like I was in the wrong body. I knew it as early as I could as I could remember. I just remember feeling like I am not a little boy. I just I knew inside of me that that wasn't the case. But you know, back then you didn't know how to you know communicate that, and so. I just, I never knew what that was. And then once I realized, okay, well, I am a little boy, according to everyone else, and then the only closest thing was me to identify as being gay. And then once I realized what transgender was, I was like, that's it. It was like a light bulb went off. But that feeling, like I always tell people, it's always there. Like it never went away. Um, But I was very, you know, lucky to like have a mom and a dad who were supportive of the fact that I didn't want to go outside with my brothers, that I didn't want to do anything, you know, that was considered masculine or more boy-oriented. I was really lucky to where I could stay inside and I could, you know, do all the girly things and I could walk around in my mother's heels and and do all of these things and not, like, be, you know, ridiculed for it. Um, But that feeling had never went away. Right. And, and another another question because I have a few here. Um, <laughs> Ask away. I'm an I, open book. <laughs> I believe you said that um, when you you got to that epiphany where you're not gay, you were transgender. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. It's, you know that in that itself, a lot of people don't get that dynamic there. Because some people will say, well, if you're transgender, you're gay. And it's like, mm, not necessarily in the sense that most people are thinking. So could you kind of touch on that to kind of fine-tune what? Sure. Yes, ma'am. I can do that for you. Um, So that is true. I definitely, like, so, um, like, like I said, because I was only, as far as I knew, you know, if I wasn't, um, if I couldn't be a girl, then the next thing would be to be um, to be gay. And my high school actually had what was called opposite day. So for, you know, like um, um, freshman year and sophomore year, it was like really awesome because I was like, oh, I always look forward to those days because I could dress up as a girl, you know. So I looked forward to those days. Um, and, and and everything and it was and it was great and I just remember looking forward to that and being able to do that and then like I said once I realized what transgender was um, I had always been attracted to guys um, so I started to feel like yes I'm transgender I'm a girl I'm trapped in a boy's body but I felt more like um, a heterosexual female because I was like well I'm a woman right um, who likes guys so I was like, I'm not a guy who likes guys. I'm a woman who likes guys. And that was hard for some people because of the fact that, you know, I was very, especially in the very beginning, transitioning and people not knowing what transgender was, they just thought, oh, like, at the very least, I was like a cross-dresser or a drag queen, um, you know, something like that. Like, oh, okay, this is just like, you know, attention-seeking. Um, but it it was that wasn't the case, and so I had to really start to explain to them that no, like, I, and even like guys that were interested in me, they would be like, oh, I, I, does this make me gay because I like you or because I think you're cute? And I'm like, no, because I'm a girl. But then you had society at that time that didn't see me. Some people didn't see me that way, so then they kind of had this like judgment on them. And I feel like that's kind of more where the difficulty came in at is like trying to make sure that. Um, 
to make sure that I could explain to guys more about the fact that gender and sexual orientation are two different things, you know, because I could have technically been attracted to girls the whole time, but still felt like I was a girl. So it was really, you know, great because of the fact that I, I got to really explain and break down, you know, um, what it means, what's the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity. Wow. And I think that that answers a lot of unanswered questions that some people may have, but we're going to keep this moving because now we're going to come up to the, the whole marriage thing because <laughs> I I, I I got questions. I got questions. I'm like, wait a minute. So <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. Let me let me let me let me let me. I'm like, so he he he, Mister Mister Narcissist. He yes, I learned what that was after him. He wanted to marry you, but. He didn't want people to know uh-huh. that you were a transgender woman. Correct. Now, the question is that it's on some people's minds is this. Of course. What did he consider himself? Was he uh-huh. heterosexual? Was he undercover brother who was just totally <laughs> confused? Was he that type, you know, that talks all the smack and then behind the scenes he's like, yeah, you know. I, I, do you do you even know what he thought he was, or was he was he that angry because he was someone who was fighting with his own sexuality? Well, you know, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because. Um, so when we started dating, um, you know, he was like, I identify as pansexual and I had never heard that term before. So I was like, well, what does that mean? He's like, well, I'm attracted to personalities. Um, as, and you know, if our personalities, um, click, then I'm attracted to you. I'm interested in you. And at that time it seemed like our personalities clicked um so I was like okay you know I, I just you know he's like I don't I don't see parts I see hearts that was how he would always phrase it and I was like okay you know like that but fast forward to when we separated um I you know did find out after we separated that he had engaged in sexual activity with cisgendered men so like biological men um I had found out that he had engaged in um with other with other trans trans men I mean he was just pretty much like with anybody he could get a hold of and um it, it was one of those things that and then kind of down you know probably about that a few months ago apparently you know he had made a post um according to some mutual friends where he was like he wore a t-shirt that said um um, straight guy with gay ways or something like it was something along those lines. And it was just like, girl, thank God you got out of that. And I was like, I know. Um, so he, he does, he struggles. Um, it's very unfortunate because I was very, well, his family didn't know, but I, I've since I have come out as trans publicly and officially, I did tell my former in-laws um, that I was trans and I was actually worried how they were going to take it because he had put in my mind for so long, you all, that, 
they were going to, like, hate me and hate him. And none of them were like that. Everybody was like, oh, my gosh, like, that beautiful thank you for sharing. And so it really shocked me because I'm like, all these years, like, you've made it seem like they were going to, like, disown you and and all of that. Um, and the irony is is that they never disowned him, but he has now, like, cut himself off from them. He has not spoken to his family in over a year. Um, and it's really heartbreaking, but I still have a close relationship with my in-laws um, because of the fact that, you know, they were people important to me. And I did, again, apologize to them that I wasn't honest about my transness, but I wanted them to know that it wasn't because I didn't want to be. It was because I was trying to stand by my man, you know, and honor what he wanted. Um, but in that, in that same way, I was hurting myself. But, yeah, he is definitely still struggling with um, his sexual identity, um, you know, I, I'm, and even to some extent, it could be gender identity. You know, I don't even know if he even feels complete in his whole body. And that's something that I didn't really know more until, like, after we got married. I didn't realize how much of a struggle he was having with all of that. Wow. I'll come back and ask for more in a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. My life is. It's very interesting to tell people it could be a book. <laughs> well, you should do that. You should write a book. You should make it a book. Um, because what you're talking about today, you're shedding light on on questions that remain unanswered in society. I think that's the best yeah. way that I can put it. You know, a, a, a lot of this is like, I'm a, I'm a sister, what is it called? A sister, sister, what? <laughs> <laughs> so we have what's called cisgendered and transgendered. So you uh, would be considered cisgendered. That means you were born female and you identify as female. And then I would be considered transgender because I was born male, but I identify as female. So that is how we refer to um, how we separate. And some people be like, I remember when I would do these diversity trainings, even here in L.A., and I'd be like, well, why is it that, like, we got to put cisgendered in front of it? And I was like, it was a way for trans people to not feel like that they were othered, like they were excluded or not included. So to make everyone feel like it's, I guess, equal, we decided to do terms like cisgendered and transgender. So then that way there's something in front of the word gender, and it shows kind of like a sense of equality um, for both um, trans and cisgender people, but yeah, you would be considered cisgender, C-I-S, um, gendered. And look, I had to write that down. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teaching you some new terminology today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is one for me. I got all kinds of words, honey. All kinds <laughs> of words, honey. Okay. <laughs> You put it in the book. We get, we gonna get it for sure. Okay, I'm telling you, you have a whole new vocabulary before I, by the time I finish up with you. Because I had told Charlotte, I said, Charlotte, I said, oh, I said, is it gonna? I didn't realize it was audio. I just a phone once. So I first, I was like, oh Lord, I, I've got to get up in geese today, and um, I, like, I got to get all up in geese and put my and paint my mug and all of that stuff like that. <laughs> and like some of my friends who like have no clue what I'm talking about, like, what is geese? I was like, well, that's but what we say in the trans community. <laughs> I think in the future we're gonna have to set up like a Facebook, maybe live or something like that, and we can all come on. I would love that. When you know I'm down with this, I'm down. Yeah, we're gonna um, 
We're going to touch on a few more things. Um, um, I, I did want to touch on the fact um, uh, that you are a trans transgender uh, woman and you do live with HIV. Yes. And you yes. were diagnosed when you were 21. Is that correct? Yes, I was. Correct. Okay. Let me let me interject. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you before you move into that, you have a comment over in the chat room. Um, TJ Dub says says uh, first of all, I have been so excited about this particular episode, Mallory. Your (laughs) strength and courage is nothing short of admirable. You are fierce. You are fabulous, and I am loving all of it. Well, that's oh over goodness. there. Gene writes that um he's listening in. He's listening in while he is on the treadmill. So <laughs> he is over there doing um his thing over there on his treadmill while he's in the infamous social lockdown. And um, okay. that's the comments that we have over there in the chat room so far. You got to give us some more of these words because I'm like, wait, what? Because I'm a sister. I'm a sister. Sister, 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 gender. what is it? Sister gender, cis gender, cis gender, c i s gender. Yes, c i s gender, honey, cis gender. Okay. And that well, is it. To the social... <laughs> I'm gonna. I am cisgendered, okay? <laughs> just go, I'm yes. going to tell somebody and that. That's exactly what we do. That's exactly what we do. I'm telling you. And this is, and this is a, it's important to have these conversations, you know. Um, um, it's important to have these conversations so that way I can raise um, awareness about it. Because to be honest, like, you don't know until I tell you. And one of the things that I always do when I do, like, have these conversations and these discussions, and it's so important, especially when you want to be, you know, sensitive and aware and woke to trans issues and trans people, is that I always say, hi, my name is Mallory Jenner Robinson. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And people are like, why are you saying your pronouns? Like, you know, we can, but sometimes, for example, what if I didn't, like, um, you know, you all see my picture, but what if, for example, I had a beard and I was wearing a dress? You know what I mean? So then it's like, oh, like, okay, what's going on? But I was still, I'm, I'm saying my pronouns because even if I'm, like, even if I had a beard and short hair but I was wearing a dress, I still want you to refer to me as she, her, hers. So the pronouns doesn't necessarily have to reflect, like, how you look, but it's, again, how you feel. And so that's why it's important to, like, state your pronouns because you're showing people who are trans or non-binary or gender non-conforming the importance that, hey, you know what, I understand that pronouns are important to you because so many times in our community we get misgendered. You know, even if, you know, you do wear a dress or you do, or for a trans guy who wears suits and a tie, you know, and then they're referred to as she, hers. No, that she does, he doesn't want to be referred to that way. He wants to be referred to as he, him, his. So it's just trying to respect that. And and so by using your pronouns, you're, um, you're, you're respecting and affirming someone's identity um, because, believe it or not, that is so important to a trans person, and I can attest to that. And, you know, because it was a struggle, not necessarily with my parents, but, like, with my grandparents and stuff like that, with getting on board with the pronouns and using it correctly. And they finally got it, but... You know what I mean? It's just it, it hurts you a lot right. when you're misgendered. Right. So. 
Well, I definitely learned a lot, and I, I haven't written it all down. I got it going on now. They're not going to be able to tell me nothing. When I come out there, they're not going to be able to tell me nothing. They're going to think I've been out there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> come on, sis. You better come on out here ready to go. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> My girl. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I appreciate it so much. I appreciate you all. And, you know, what you were mentioning um, about me being HIV positive, I own that truth as well. That was another thing that I kept very secretive. Um, I did, my, my ex-husband knew um, he was not the person who gave me HIV. Um, I was with um, this guy um, before him um, not too long, probably about five, six months. And I trusted him and um, trusted him completely. Um, I sometimes have this night, you know, moment where I'm naive and I just see the good in everybody. You know that about me, Charlotte. I'm always like, oh, you know. And um, and, and I'm, unfortunately, I did that with him and um, I, I became positive. And again, that was, it's interesting that you bring that up because about the courage and strength because that was another situation in my life where it was a defining moment. I was 21. I was like, what am I going to do, you know, like as, as what we had always heard of in the South um, was that HIV, AIDS, um, that was a death sentence. So for me, I was like, oh, my goodness. And so when I went and went to the health department, got tested, got diagnosed, became positive, I was like, you know what, um, I'm going to figure out what I need to do to stay healthy. And I did, and I've been what's called undetectable for the past nine years. Now, I will admit my mother has always, I love her to death, but she's always been really, she's she's all for me sharing my truth about being trans, but she's always worried about that part. And I was like, you know what, Mom? I was like, it's time for me to share my story because I want people to know, especially other trans people out there, to know that it's okay to be HIV positive. I'm not perfect. I have never once put it off on anyone else. I made the choice to have sex without a condom, and I made a choice to, to, to trust a partner, and that's on me, and I take responsibility. I will never pass that buck to anyone else. But at the same time, it's nothing to be ashamed of, and I'm proud to be undetectable. I'm proud to be able to, you know, if I need to go to the doctor and they need to draw blood, they're not going to be seeing, you know, signs that I have HIV. I've never had any complications from it. And, um, again, like I said, I did disclose to my, uh, my, my um, ex-husband that I was positive. And, again, to his credit, he was um, supportive of that. And, um, but at the same time, like I said, you know, it was one of those things that I just had to continue to fight for myself in that moment because I was like, my health means so much to me. And um, I'm really proud of the fact that it's been a nine-year um, nine journey of living with HIV, and I'm still here to, to talk about it. And I'm happy that I'm finally actually talking about it, you know, openly because there's nothing to be ashamed of at all. Well, I'm so proud of you for sharing that um, part of your life with us. Um, and, again, that takes a major amount of courage to, to talk about that and talk about it so openly, and I appreciate you for that. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk about all of it. Um, it's really cathartic for me. Because um, sometimes one of the things that, you know, when, when stuff happens in your life that's traumatic, you you suppress it. And so it's one of those things that, like, it's good for me to talk about it and share my story because I do hope it inspires others. I do hope it gives people courage to know that you can go through the worst of the worst. You can, 
you know, fight a school system to make sure that you, you have this sense of identity. And, you know, when I was in college, you know, um, I can got, got diagnosed with HIV, got into a, a marriage that was not healthy for me at all, um, was abandoned financially and in every way, but I overcame it, and I'm so proud of where I'm at now. So, again, thank you all for, like, giving me. I just can't say thank you enough because it really means a lot that my story meant enough to you, Charlotte, in particular, to want to to share it. And thank you again. Thank you for being here. And do we have any more um, Q&A this evening? I'm looking on in the chat room to see if there's any more questions. I don't think there is. There there may be a lag there. But, um, yeah, I'm unmuted again. Because you know me, I have more. Um, yes, yes. I, I, I want to say this. that Before the show, because when I was putting it together for uh, Charlotte, um, this is the thing. A lot of people were like, well, I want to know what she sounds like. And I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> I'm sure, you know what I mean? Sometimes people, and me, someone who growing up in that world of naivete for such a long time. And when I was younger, there were people who I knew who were transgendered. And to me, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way, there's some people that just look like this is who you were meant to be. You know, there's Mm -hmm. others that I'm like, who did this to you? (laughs) I'm like, like, "Mm, get your money back. people who seem so natural and it's like oh you just see us from head to toe yeah you know what i'm saying i know you you know what i'm saying is there a name for them the ones that's tore up from heaven down and hell up because i'm like what what is this you know it's like a bad recipe (laughs) it is um you know it's one of those things that um, it's interesting. Um, kind of the first piece that you mentioned was about how um, how I sound, and even within the, my job at the center, when because um, at first they didn't even know I was transgender. Um, one of my coworkers, who I become close friends with, he was like, "I sat there and I saw you sit down, and I was like, what is this girl? Does she know what position is this for?' <laughs> you know, and uh, because like you said, that was just kind of like this natural flow and what people, you know, people tell me, it's like, you're so feminine. Like you're so natural with your mannerisms, your actions are so naturally feminine. Like, how is that? And I was like, well, that's the thing. I've always been feminine. I was like, you know, my voice has always been this soft. I never had a deep voice ever. Um, And so, you know, because people ask me like, oh, did you go through voice training? And I'm like, no, Mm mm-mm. You know, and again, if I had went through, I would have, I would have told people. I was like, but no, I was like, my voice has always been feminine, um, very soft spoken. Again, that's why my parents. That's that's actually one of the reasons why they referred to me as their delicate child because my voice was always so soft spoken. Like I told you, I'm a people pleaser. I didn't want to rock the boat, so I was always very kind of docile and like you know very delicate. And that even goes in 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 the tone of my voice and things like that, my mannerisms as well. So when people even now tell me, like, wow, like, things are just so natural with you, it's because this has been in me all my life. I can't speak for some other, you know, trans women because some people do start later 
And, for example, some trans women were more masculine. So they maybe had been, and what I mean by that is, like, maybe they did play sports um, when they were first um, males, or maybe they did do other things that were more masculine, so they still have that in them, and um, and their voice may be deeper. Because, remember, I started my transition when I was 16 as well, so I started hormones early, and so that helped a lot, too, and if you start your hormone replacement therapy later in life, sometimes it takes a little longer for those hormones to kick in. So I do give credit to, you know, just the fact that I have always been very feminine, um, but also the fact that I had started my hormones early. So it helped a lot with my transition. Um, I think it's even helped a lot with people being accepting of who I am because this isn't, like, even though people are knowing that I'm transgender, but, like, even for you, example, Charlotte, you've always seen me as a woman. So, like, yeah. and, and because of the fact that I've always been so feminine presented, it wasn't like you knew me before and then I just transitioned, like, nine months ago and you're, like, still trying to adjust. Like, you, you, you know, I, I'm still the same sis that you can laugh with and talk to. I'm just now sharing more of my truth. Um, and so, again, I think that helps a lot of the people that I've met to kind of understand my transition and be more accepting of it as opposed to if I had, you know, remained, if I had been really masculine, if I had married a girl, had kids with her, and then said, hey, you know what, I realize I'm a woman and I want to transition. Um, so it does fluctuate as to why some people still are having maybe a difficult time in their transition and looking the way they want to look and sounding the way they want to just because of the fact that they started later. Um, and it could also be the fact that they have always been more masculine. And But for me, I was always just very feminine, um, talking and presenting. So it kind of, for me, fortunately, just worked in my favor. And we do have some more comments, uh, Charlotte. Before you continue, over in the show chat room, Jean said, asked, um, did you do a full transition? And TJ Dub says, you're very inspiring, and you remain positive and optimistic in all avenues for others. How do you stay inspired and remain optimistic in the midst of the things you have experienced. So those are your two questions that you have from the chat room. Yes. Um, kind of going um, back to how I remain inspired. Um, it Honestly, I have really, for me, I, I do believe in God. And so prayer has helped a lot. And also, to be honest, I've always given people the benefit of the doubt. I, I sometimes I know it's, again, probably not even take of me, but I, I rationalize, I try to rationalize, like, why people do what they do. Um, so, for example, with my ex-husband, you know, yeah, it hurt what he did, but at the same time, I was like, you know what, there's something deeper here that is beyond me. And I had to accept the fact that this wasn't about me, because it's interesting, I, uh, one of you had mentioned the word narcissist, and, and, you know, I went to therapy, and that was one of the things that they used to describe him was as a narcissist. And so, again, realizing that this isn't about me, that this is about him. And that's what I had to do with other situations, too, in my life. I had to realize that this is bigger than me. This is beyond me. And all I can do is control how I act. My father always says, he's like, Phil, you know, he refers to me as baby girl. And he says, Phil, how you feel, baby girl? But don't stay stuck in it. Don't stay stuck in it. You know, we soldiers. We got this. You know, and I got that mentality, too. So even though I'm very delicate and soft-spoken and feminine, but I also had this, like, tough mentality in me. 
And that's what's kept me inspired is to just know that I can get through all things through Christ. He strengthens me, um, you know, and, and my dad always, he's a big fan of the serenity prayer, you know, and so those, those type of affirmations have helped me and just being around the right people just when I did feel down because Charlotte can tell you, like, there was moments when I felt like giving up, you know, but it was her and others who would come into my inbox and say, you got this, don't give up, don't give up. And those, and having those people believe in me and see the strength in me sometimes that I didn't see myself, it really helped me. It really helped me get to this place in my life um, of, of never giving up and still inspired. Because like I said, I, if I had given up, I would have been, I wouldn't have been here 14 years ago um, just because I didn't want to, because I, you know, I was afraid of what people were going to think about me being transgender. Um, so that's what inspires me. And then I did forget the other question. <laughs> so um, the what other the question, question, did you oh, do a full question. transition? Oh, have I went undergone a full transition? Uh, yes. Uh, well, so let me, Okay, so for, yes for me, um, but, and, then, and I'll kind of break it down. I'm happy that you asked that because that's actually something that um, we talk about a lot at the center. So for me, uh, when mm-hmm. I transitioned, um, came out as trans, so there's two parts of transitioning. There's a social transition and a medical transition. A social transition is basically like what I was telling you all earlier about pronouns. So like for me, when I became Mallory, um, my pronouns became she, her, hers. Um, you know, so that was my social transition. I changed my name to Mallory. I started dressing as, um, start wearing, I was always wearing kind of like tight jeans and stuff anyway before I transitioned, but I started wearing more like um, girls' clothing. So that was part of my social transition. And then my medical transition was like me taking hormones, me undergoing breast augmentation, and me undergoing um, bottom surgery, or it's also known as gender reassignment surgery. So, um, what, so yes, I have undergone both my medical and, so, uh, medical and social transition, and I would be what you would quote-unquote say, complete woman. One of the things that I've learned, because I, and I don't know everything, um, and my version of what transgender looks like, um, and a lot of people, um, kind of, and it was a misconception on my part with me now working at the center, I've learned new things too, was that everyone doesn't believe that's their full transition. So, for example, like, I knew I wanted to have surgery. I knew, you know, I don't want to be vulgar, but I knew I needed to get rid of my private. I knew I wanted a vagina. And so, for me, I was like, okay, um, I'm going to do that. That's going to make me feel complete and whole. And I did that in 2016. But there are some trans individuals who don't feel they need to undergo surgery to be any more or any less than the gender that they, that they feel they are. Um, the truth that they stand in, um, and that's okay. So some people may, um, some, for example, a trans woman may say, you know what, I'm going to, um, I'm going to, like, you know, change my name. I'm going to, I want people to start referring to me as she, her, hers, but I'm not going to take hormones. I'm not going to have breast augmentation, and I'm not going to have surgery. And for them, that's their, that's their transition, just them changing their name and their pronouns. But then you have some trans women like me who was like, I'm changing my name, my pronouns, I'm having the surgeries, I'm starting hormones. So it's different for everyone. Every We call it a gender journey, and everyone's gender journey is different. And that was one of the things that I didn't know growing up because, again, like I said, I didn't know much about transgender other than what I saw on that Tyra Banks episode and what I always thought was all trans people underwent surgery because actually the woman that I saw on TV had underwent surgery. 
So as far as I had known, that's what, you know, we all did. But when I moved out to L.A., you know, I learned that that's not everyone's gender journey. Um, so, yes, for me, I have undergone surgeries, and I'm, I'm, I'm complete um, head-to-toe, but for other people, they may not, and, that's, and for them, that's their complete journey. So it really just depends on the person. I hope that answers the question. Okay, well, thank you very much for that, Valerie. Um, is there You're any welcome. more questions? Well, you I'm have. Looking in the well, chat it's room. it's still lag, lagging. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm gonna see if I get any over on the other social media sites. So, um, you can just go ahead on with the chat for a little while longer, and see if any more pop up in the chat room because sometimes the chat room may lag. Absolutely. I'm I'm here, so um, I am, you know, I can just, you know, again, just I'm I'm excited to be here and and, and honored and just thank you all again for allowing this platform. You've been doing okay, sis? Yes, I think you're doing great. And I do want to ask you uh, if you want to give any information about more information on how people can contact the center where you work and all the services that you guys offer there. I would be glad to do that. So um, you can, um, the center, the LGBTQ Center Long Beach, um, I am part of the Trans Health Department at there. Um, you can contact me by my business um, phone number, which is 562 562- Four three three, hold on, 562-433-2255, extension 31. Or you can email me at mrobinson at centerlb.org. Um, that's M-R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N, um, centerlb.org. So you can email me or you can contact me. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram. I do a lot of, um, like, outreach and things of that nature at Mallory Jenna 90 M-A-L-L-E-R-Y-J-E-N-N-A-90. Um, and you can um, follow me there as well. And so, like I said, the services that we offer, um, I've put in place these past nine months of working there. Um, we do have a closed closet that is dedicated for trans and non-binary individuals. We do have a snack shack that is, um, again, committed and dedicated to trans and non-binary individuals. We do offer um, testing services. We do offer, um, uh, we offer testing services. We offer housing referrals, job and career training. We um, offer social and, um, social and support groups for anyone who's trans or non-binary. Um, we are now doing those digitally as well. Um, and so you have that, and um, you can do find us through that at um, centerlb um, underscore connect um, trans health, and you can find us there again by just even just going to the center's website and the trans health um, tab is there, and it has the digital support groups, and I do facilitate those as well, um, and it's that's been really great. So we offer a lot of different things. Um, Like I said, once the whole social distancing is over, I look forward to having uh, more trans support groups, um, um, not, excuse me, trans events um, every month. 
we are doing tomorrow. Um, tomorrow is National Transgender HIV Testing Day. So we are actually doing um, a panel that I um, put into place. The panel um, will be tomorrow. If you go to um, our um, center's um, Instagram, which is centerlb underscore transhealth, you can cut, um, sign in to the, um, the meeting, and then you can see us talk about trans health. You can see us talk about HIV, um, black trans women in HIV, black trans men in HIV. Um, and so that is something that we'll be talking about tomorrow from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific time. Okay, well, we appreciate all that information. And let me check the chat queue and see if we have any more um, questions here for you. About D. Wade and his daughter? I didn't see that question. Where? Did you see that question? I didn't get that one. Could you retype that question, TJ Dub, about D Wade and his daughter? Oh. She says she says um, she really wants to. She really wants to know her take on that. Did I miss something? Ah, uh, uh, okay. Here we go. Yeah, we did not. I did not see that in the chat at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just saw recently. It D, yeah, recently, D Wade's daughter came out as transgender. I believe she is twelve. He and Gabrielle Union are in full support, which it seems like you had. However. A lot of celebrities and people have expressed their opinions, and some have been very nasty and hurtful, especially coming from adults. How do you feel about that? You know, it is unfortunate when you have um, parents and adults who are not supportive of their kids, and that was one of the misconceptions, again, that I had uh, when I, before moving here, to be honest, um, I did not know that um, people were kicked out for being trans. I did not know that people would put into camps to be converted um, to kind of get this out of their bodies and this thought process. So all that's always heartbreaking. I do want to give a kudos to Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union for supporting Zaya. I think it's beautiful. Um, it's a reminder of my story, very, very much so. Um, so it, it definitely hit home to me. Um, I do know what it's like to have adults, um, especially, like I said, um, a couple of my uncles on my mom's side were um, her brothers were not the most supportive at one point. Um, they have come around. So I always like to give people, again, seeing the good in others and the benefit of the doubt. That is, when, you're, when you don't know, people and you don't understand a person and and who they are, a lot of times you're going to reject it because you are setting your ways and you don't want to the idea of changing what you know to try to fit into what somebody else is. So, for example, if you see, if you, like, believe that, you know, you're born the gender you are and that's how you should live your life and that's what you've grown up to think and then someone comes and tells you, no, it's okay to be trans, you know, this is part of who we are. You're not going to want to hear that because you've been conditioned um, to, to think one way. So a lot of times that's like the biggest thing that I've learned with the job that I do is that that's just what a, that's where a lot of the anger comes from. 
is not knowing and not really wanting to accept the fact that you could be wrong and that this is someone's this is someone's truth and it's not that they're choosing because like I always tell people I didn't choose to be transgender but I did choose when to when to own my truth and so that was important to me and so and that was important to Zaya and she needed to be able to stand in her truth now and say you know what I am a girl and I'm proud of her and I'm proud of her story and I'm proud of her parents and her loved ones were supporting her. And I'm hoping that my story of hearing about my parents, and like I said, I mean, you know, and this was back way before she was even born, you know, um, you know, my parents were supportive. They are supportive. And so if mine can be, and we from the deep South Alabama and Dwayne Wade and his family is here in LA, you know, then I'm saying that whether you're from the deep South or the West coast, love is love, love your children, be there for them support them, encourage them. Don't try to try to make them who you want them to be. And I think that would have been harder for me growing up personally if my dad would have been like, no, you need to be like your brothers. No, you need to be more masculine. But he never did that, and he hasn't done that. He, he opens the door for me. He treats me as his daughter, and I'm proud to see Dwayne do that for Zaya. And we and there have another call in the call query. We have another caller in the query. Oh, you know it's me, Cassie Lamb. Don't even try. <laughs> I said, I'm not. I'm trying to keep it professional. I know. I'm not by the computer. That's why I had to touch in here because I was like, I'm walking around. But yeah, I was curious when I heard um, Tara's question about um, Dwayne Wade's thing. What age? Because you did your transition. What age do you think is appropriate to allow a child to transition? Um, because I think that's the controversy that a lot of people are having with that situation is they think that because he's so young, Dwayne Wade and all them are saying, okay, you can go ahead and transition as a woman now, you know, instead of, you know, waiting. Well, you know, I do want to say that um, – I do think that a lot of times, I not think, I feel, and I know that, you know, this is something that was in Zaya since, you know, she was a little girl. And so the thing is, is that um, it doesn't go away. Um, and I, I, I strongly encourage anyone who is trans and who is a trans youth and um, to, if they feel like at the age of five, or whether it's the age of 15, a transition, like I said, never goes away. And I, I I feel like that they should be able to own their truth at whatever age that is. I mean, you have some people who wait a lot longer, and they found themselves to be a lot more miserable. And for her to own her truth now is really great. It speaks to her courage, and it's to her ability to be willing to face adversity. Um, so I do I always say whatever age that they want to transition at is the age that they should transition at. Um, and, 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 of course, like I said, you know, they, they may decide to hold off because I did too, you know, when I was five. I, you know, I felt like I wanted to be a girl. And, and of course, that, that that became the case. But, you know, I did wait about another 10 years before I did that. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I was still ready at the age of five, but the school mm-hmm. wasn't ready. So it's not that the kids aren't ready to own their truth. It's just it's the fear of, you know, how other people are going to treat you. And that's where a lot of times, like, you know, we as trans people decide to wait because we're scared of how our family is going to treat us and we're scared of how society is going to treat us. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, the fear that people are having is um, when, it's, when is it too early? I think the argument is kind of let them wait until they're like 18 so they can make that decision themselves, um, not doing, you know, some people thinking it's being forced upon them, but it's really not. Like you said, that's their truth. They would love mm-hmm. to do it at five and not at 18, but, you know, I think the people are like, just because you're the parent doesn't mean that you have, I guess it's mainly religious-based. The church is kind of like, that's a sin and abomination and blah, blah, blah. So mm-hmm. they're like, no, don't do it now. If they want to do it after 18 when they are, you know, legal and they can make that choice for themselves, then they should. Whereas, you know, you raise the point. Like, I don't, I, you know, we don't understand because we're, as you say, cisgender. We were born in the body in which we, you know, identify. Good job. So, huh? <laughs> oh, That's no, a good job, yeah. That. Yeah, I've known that for a while. But, um, but, yeah, but who are we to tell others when they are ready to transition, you know? And I, mm-hmm. I, I've been exposed to it early in life because my uncle is a transgender, and I've seen this back in the 70s when it was even harder to transition right. You know, I just remember walking up the steps and seeing him putting on makeup, and I'm like, whoa, and I'm five, like, what What are you doing, you know? Mm-hmm. So he started his transition in the 70s. Wow, that's beautiful. It really is. It's amazing. I always love to hear those stories, and I do know older. Um, I have a really good friend of mine who lives here, and um, she's 59 years old, and she's also a leader in the trans community. And she she tells me stories about when she transitioned, you know, back in the late 70s and early 80s and just going through uh, her stories, incredible as well. I always love to hear those stories, too. And I also wanted to kind of add to what you mentioned about waiting until you're 18. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you why that can sometimes not be the best thing, because when you're having a child, you know, potentially live in a lie, what they perceive as a lie for so many years until they're old enough to make the decision, a lot of times you're putting them at a greater risk for suicide attempts and suicide, mm-hmm. you know. And so, you know, yes, of course, we, you know, I understand where people, because I will never, again, like I said, I, I'm very passionate about my career, but I always see the, try, again, try to see everyone's perspective, you know, that's, that's always been me, you know, and so I, I try to see where people are coming from, and I understand parents being concerned about their kids starting hormones and all of these things and what that can do to your body. I can understand from a parent's perspective, even though I'm not a parent, like what that, what kind of fear that would be, your child's body changing before your eyes. But while that's fear for the parents, that is actually comfort for the child um, to know for them that they are able to transition and to have that support is going to be so comforting and it's going to reduce their chances of wanting to commit suicide, um, you know. And so that's just what I always, like, want people to understand, too. It's like I can't take away how anyone feels about whether a child should wait until they're an adult or not, but just know that you're, you're going with the mentality that that child may make it to 18, and if they're struggling at the age of 10 or 11 and you're telling them to wait another 10, 8, eight 9, 10 years, that may be too late. And so it's just it's, it's so important to kind of look at the bigger picture where it's like, is it worth me losing my child to suicide or 
my child running away and I never see them again because, you know, and unfortunately that's how we get a lot of our sex workers are the fact that the parents couldn't be accepting. Now they're out on the streets and now they're having to go and um, obtain hormones illegally, Um, you know. And so, you know, it just just becomes a a more, I guess, rabbit hole. So I, I, I strongly encourage, you know, anyone who has a child that's trans or a child that's questioning their trans, their gender, you know, please, you know, try to be supportive. Try to just be there with them on their gender journey, and um, and and just and just be supportive as much as you can because this is such an important, important, important moment in their lives. Them deciding to finally own their truth. Right, and I think I think a lot of people really need to hear that because uh, we don't understand. Well. I, you know, as I'm saying, the society who's saying, you know, wait until later, we're not understanding the implications that that may have where you're making a child at five live a lie till 18 when they are ready to admit their truth at five. And it could cause someone to say, hey, I want to commit suicide because you're not allowing me to be myself. You, you're making me walk through life with a mask on. Why everyone else mm-hmm, is doing mm-hmm. this too. So, you know, that's that's why I'm saying, you know, this show, you know, I've been we've been talking about this and I've been asking Cassie, I call her Cassie Lynn just in case you don't know, because see Maria's Cassie Lynn for everybody who don't know. I um <laughs> I've been telling her, when are you getting this transgender? Because there was a there was a show that she did not too long ago that I got infuriated by the responses of two of her people. You know, and I didn't, you know, didn't really care for their take on that matter. So uh, I said, when are we going to have you going to get one on to explain their journey and kind of enlighten people on what it's about? Like, so we can understand more what that journey is about, because we're not on that journey. We can't sit up there and tell you how you should feel. You know, we feel like you said, we feel like the body that we were put in. You know, I feel like a man in a man's body. Cassie feels like a woman in a woman's body, but you feel like a a woman. And who are we to tell you what to feel? You know, regardless of what you were born as. We can't tell you how to feel. And I wouldn't. It's just like no one can tell me how to feel. And so I've been wondering how to have this show for a while now so we can kind of get, you know, an idea because I, like I said, I have a trans gender uncle. Now, I don't think he did. Well, transgender, I guess it's on. We, we, he's not, he didn't have the full transition, I don't think. You know, that's why I asked you, did you do the full transition? Because I think he, he didn't do the full transition, but he lives his life as a woman. And I say oh, he because cool. we're still trying to grab. We never asked him which, the pronoun that, you know, it was never because my grandmother always had an issue with it till the day she died. So he kind of like it, like he didn't hide it. She knew it. She knew it, and he lived it. But he didn't try to throw it in her face because he knew she had a problem with it. And that's old school, you know. Like I said, seventies, eighties, it wasn't, you know, really a thing, mm-hmm. you know, that you should own back then. It was really taboo, really back then. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was, I was telling her, I think that we need, you know, she needed to have someone like you on to explain that journey and get, and you know, kind of enlighten us on what, what it is, you know, that you feel, stuff like that. Like we, like we would never know. Okay, they can wait till eighteen. Well, they could commit suicide because they're not being able to live their truth. Right. 
you know. Exactly. Right. And that is a high, high chance. You know, a very mm-hmm. real chance of that happening. Or at the very you know, on the on the minimum scale, them running away, getting into sex work, being sex trafficked, they're getting into sex work because they wanna be able to get hormones and they can't do hormones because they're mm-hmm. underage, so they have to do it illegally. Um mm-hmm. You know, these are true stories. And, you know, like I said, I'm like when you're, if your child is brave enough to come to you with the hopes of it, you know, you will be supportive and be accepting, you know. And acceptance, that, that sometimes that, that takes a long time for people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, sometimes when we say the word acceptance or someone accepts us, that we think that that's something instantly. No, that mm-hmm. sometimes that can take a while to like really wrap your head around what's happening. Because even though I had a very supportive and accepting parents, they still had to grapple with the fact that they were losing a son, you know, and that mm-hmm. and that, that that part of my life was over and it's been over now fourteen years. But that was even though they accepted me and supported me for it, they still had to come to acceptance of that. And I know that that can be challenging for parents. And like I said, that's why I, said, I don't take that away from anyone because I know. You know, you, when you have your children, you ha- you see a future or a future that you think that they should have or would have, and then if that, that future doesn't look the same of what you have, it can be difficult. And so when you have a, a child who is trans and it says that they're trans, and you know, it's just it's so important because, like I said, we can think that they have until 18. We can think that they have until, you know, 21 or whatever age, you know, some parents feel like it's the right age. But, you know, the thing is, is that we don't know if they'll make it that long. Because even if they don't commit suicide and go out here and do sex work, the the, the, the murder rate for trans women of color is really high. Last year I spoke at the um, Transgender Day of Remembrance event here in L.A. And I tell you, we had about 50 names that we read. And most of them were mm-hmm. young black trans women. And the, and the life expectancy for, for trans women, period, is 35 so technically, mm-hmm. I have about five more years, and if I passed the age of 35, I would have exceeded the life expectancy for a trans woman. So typically, between the time we start a transition up until the age of 35, we have a great chance of being murdered for who we are. Mm-hmm. Okay, that I was not a question. Is it murder that, that you aren't supposed to live at 35 like a black man? It says, black man, I'm 49. You know, I'm mm-hmm. one supposed to make it since 18, but... You know, thankfully, I did right, you know. But, you know, you don't, you can't figure out I've been chased by white men that just had something against a black person because another black person did something to his girlfriend, and so he went and chased me with that. You never know when you're going to be a victim of, of any kind of violence or stupidity, yes. you know, racism, racism and hatred and bigotry. So, you know, that's just... Yeah. It's crazy that you know, and so I mean, the people are, that are doing that are because recently I've I've read something and I forget his name, the basketball player, um, that was caught with a transgender woman, and it wasn't Dwayne Wade. Who was the other guy? Um, and apparently, he had made some threats to kind of keep it on the low because he didn't want anybody to know. So do you think those are the one the main perpetrators of the murder, those, like, guys who are attracted to On the down low. Women? Yeah, they're on the down low. They attracted the transgender women. However, as long as you are there, I guess, their secret, 
they're fine, but as soon as, you know, it comes out, they're angry, and that's when they do what they do. And I do. That is that is a that is a huge reality, you know, that happens, and um, it, it's it's a lot of the times. And I'll tell you um, a, a couple of different scenarios of of some individuals that I've known that have been fortunate to survive um, to survive that. And one of the things was is that you know a lot of times they do get with men. We call it trade um, mm-hmm. uh, in our community. You know, guys who are very masculine presenting. Um, you wouldn't, you would look at them as, you know, you may say down low men um, who are, you know, you would not suspect them of of, of anything. They just typical. Um, and sometimes they, they get into relationships and it could be, you know, secret relationships. But when that is threatened, when that the risk of, you know, them being outed for being with someone who's trans, that can become threatening to them, and then they hurt the person that they're dating. So, so that's some of the cases that happen. Um, some of them is, you know, they'll, they'll and, and unfortunately that's where it's kind of like victim blaming. They'll say, mm-hmm. well, she didn't tell me. She didn't tell me she, 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 she's trans. So, you know, I found out, and then I, I snapped. Um, I panicked. Um, and a lot of the times the girls have told them. But it's just because of the fact that they, like you said, they don't want anyone to know that they were mm-hmm. with this person that, you know, they decide to go ahead. And, and that actually happened to a young lady that I know here. Um, fortunately, she survived her attack. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, she was with a guy. Um, they, they talked for about a few weeks. And then um, all of a sudden, I guess, like someone had found out, either saw him with her. And then he responded by attacking her and saying that, like, he didn't, he attacked her because he found out from other people that she was trans. When in reality, mm-hmm. you know, she, once she woke up from being attacked, um, she said, no, she said, he knew. We, we spent time together. We cooked dinner. Um, and, and so it's, un, it's unfortunate that those situations happen. Sometimes it's cases of um, a, a, a trans woman who's become a sex, a sex worker and mm-hmm. her, this person can be her boyfriend or her pimp. Um, and, and they, you know, maybe the girl decides she doesn't want to be doing sex work anymore and he kills her. So it is really a a different, so many different gamuts of, um, of, of situations that can happen to cause it. Um, but it, and and even sometimes it's just a, a, a simple case. It's not simple, but it's a case of domestic violence, you know, because sometimes we do have trans people who have love, you know, relationships, um, that, they, that people know that their that their their partner knows they're trans. The people know that they're um, that they're with someone who's trans, and they're totally fine with that. But sometimes, like any relationship, sometimes those relationships become unhealthy and toxic. Mm-hmm. And then you know, again, when you try to get out of that cycle of negativity and abuse, it can become it can become fatal. So those are a lot of the cases that we've seen um, when we think about this idea of like trans women being murdered. Uh, yeah, I, um, you, um, just listening to you, I flash back on things I I even forgot about. But my um, aunt, I'm trying to get my head wrapped around not thinking of his past tense, but her future. You know, um, but my aunt used to be a streetwalker back in the day. As I said, she transitioned in the 70s. So like the 80s, I think she was, you know, prostituting. And you're saying the pimp. I don't know who it was, 
but she was almost murdered because uh, um, someone tried to stab her to death. She grabbed the knife, so her hands were totally cut up because she had to grab the knife to try to save herself from being stabbed to death. Um, and I think this was in the 80s. Um, so when you said that, I was like, oh, wow, that just brings back up what I remember. And I think that's when she decided to stop uh, street walking, you know, because we had friends who was like, my sister said she was driving down on Baltimore Street, which is a, a, a strip where, you know, we have hookers in Baltimore um, walking up and down that street. So my sister was with some friends and they were all like, oh my gosh, she said that's what they my uncle, you know, because he had the breast and all that dress, and he looked better than his, his sisters. I mean, seriously, when he was coming, <laughs> when he was coming into function, people would identify him as a female. Like, people would be like, oh, so, you know, my grandmother would be there, and she would just hate it, you know, because they were like, oh, are you one of Mary's daughters? And he was like, yes, and he called himself Janice, even though his name was Darnell by what she called him. He called himself you know, person, Janet, you know. So my grandmother a, would have to sit with that. At 15 minutes, that's the 15-minute bell, people. We're coming down the wire on the program. <laughs> oh. <No>. Um, <laughs> that, was, that, was some, that was some great dialogue. I want to say something real quick before, while we still have a little bit of time. It's other celebrities that have transgender kids, and I don't think that people have come after them the way they have um, Angelina, or I'm sorry, um, Gabrielle and Dwayne mm. Wade. Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt has a transgender daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she, um, Shiloh. You know, she identifies as male. And then Charlize Theron has two boys that mm-hmm. identify as female. But I mm-hmm. have not heard a lot about people, you know, coming after them, attacking their parenting skills and things like that. Right. A and little R. bit Kelly, family, Kelly but not a, much. Yeah, R. Kelly has a, a trans man. His daughter is transitioned and transitioning over to a man, so you never really hear anything about R. Kelly's uh, son, you know, now. Right. You know, and hearing you, you mentioned that, Charlotte, it's so true because, yeah, I mean, you know, these are trans children as well. Um, I think from the feedback that I've gotten, especially, you know, being in L.A., um, a lot of the feedback that I've gotten is that I guess because of the fact that, you know, it's unfortunate that it plays a part, but, you know, the fact that he's a black man, you know, there's a stereotype on black men where it's like, you know, you, you know, we, we, you, 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 you are masculine. Your kids are masculine. There's no time for there's no time for weakness, um, and so it's like they're looking at him as you know. And this has been like what I've heard um, is that oh, like he failed as a father. Like, how did you let your your son become? And, you know, you're supposed to be this big basketball player and you know, this black man and all this stuff like that and um and, and, and your child is this way as opposed to like where Charlize Theron and Angelina Jolie are, you know, women and, 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 and all this stuff like that with their kids. And so it's there's always this unfortunate kind of like bias that happens. Um because that part of me feels like if 
Um, Dwayne Wade was, you know, maybe a basketball player who was white. Um, it wouldn't be as much issue, you know. But I think because he right. is a black man and the fact that his child is uh, his, especially how people say, oh, his son is transgender, it's almost like they're looking at him like, oh, he failed some kind of way. And, uh, and, mm-hmm. and that's the beautiful thing about him, and I give him kudos, is that he's like, I didn't fail. If anything, I have raised my children to stand in their truth and be proud of who they are. And that's, you know, how I look at it. And that's how I tell people. I was like, he hasn't failed his daughter. He's teaching his daughter to, to speak her truth and stand up for who she is and never back down, you know. And, yeah, even though her story is on a national level, you know, but this story is across the board. I mean, like I said, my, my dad is probably as masculine as Dwayne Wade comes. You know, sports mm-hmm. and everything, and he got looked at that way too. Like I said, I like I told you, I have some people that was like they thought my dad was crazy. Like, how can you even accept this? You know, and I'm like, but at the same time, it's one of those things that I'm just like, we need more black men like that. We need more men like that to accept their children, especially their trans daughters. Because I'm telling mm-hmm. you, for someone who is a trans woman, for someone who works with a community of this primarily of trans women, we do not feel the love of a man sometimes, and that mm-hmm. starts at home. So if you don't feel that at home with your – and that's like any woman. If you don't – if you didn't have a dad who was present, you don't know how to take that. And especially then when you tackle on being a trans woman and you're trying to – you know, so the fact that he's loving his daughter is beautiful. And that's why I always tell people, I was like, honey, I have no problem being single. I have no problem with a man or whatever because I'm like, you know what, honey, I got I got a man that loves me. You know, my dad loves me. He opens the door for me. So, you know, I, I, you don't have to ever worry about me. Like I told him, I was like, I won't do all that. And that's why I'm proud of Zaya because, you know, she has a good foundation to where, like, if, if she decides she wants to be with men or women, she's going to be good because she has a good foundation with her family, and they're always going to be there for her. I wanna I wanna interject um, over in our show chat room. TJ Jub uh, mentioned Cher and Chaz Bono, of course. Um, yeah. You know, we grew up with that cute little blonde haired little girl that was cute as a button, and then, <laughs> you know, and the people had a hard time dealing with that initially. But again, um, my last question, and I guess Charlotte can. Um, get ready to end this is, you know, it's fine with all of these celebrities who they can afford these, these, these um, transitions for their children, but what resources do you suggest to the regular lot nine to five worker whose child is struggling and they don't have the money to um, help their child out with this? You know, that's one of the things I always try to encourage is for people to, first and foremost, if you are, if you have technology, feel free to do research. A lot of times there's a lot of factual information. That's the first, I always say, kind of direct resource that you can have. It's look up YouTube videos. Tune into these type of talk shows that, that focuses on an episode about transness and being transgender. Those are going to be what's really helpful with you understanding your child and and getting and hearing that and seeing that helps you figure out, okay, this resource works. Sometimes places that we live, not all of the places because we know some people may live in small towns, but sometimes there are um, LGBT centers um, either in your town or in the surrounding area. That's a great resource as well. 
Um, a lot of times our doctors, especially if it's children, pediatricians, um, they can refer them to, if they do decide to start hormones, they can refer them to, um, to get hormone replacement therapy. Um, check with your insurance company. Make sure your insurance company is a company that will, fund, will um, pay for your children's hormone replacement therapy. Um, go to a legal aid service. Um, department, you know, like a free legal aid clinic if they're available. See if, if, if for some reason you need to get your child's gender changed or their name changed. Try to find a gender a clinic that maybe has lawyers that have worked with trans clients before. So there are resources out there that you can look up digitally or you can just, you know, and again, I'm here as well, even though my primary contact is in L.A., but I'm certainly, I, I'm, I'm a researcher um, I will research any resources. Again, like I said, I'm, I'm at, um, you can email me at mrobinson at centerlb.org, and I'll be glad to, like, help, um, even if you're not in L.A. or California, and help any way I can. So there are resources out there, and, 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 and I'm here to help. Okay, and I think, I think we're, we're going to the close, but I, I'm thinking that we should probably do a part two um, to this. Oh, I'm hoping cool. Mallory would, would be willing to come back and talk with us again. Um, oh, my goodness, of course. I would be honored. Yeah, and hopefully, like like uh, Maria mentioned, getting help for those people that are just regular nine-to-five workers, because I think about them. We, we look at the people in celebrities, so it's a little bit different when you got a whole lot of money um, to do mm-hmm. all this. Yes. Um, so this is um, – Definitely appreciate you coming on, and I appreciate everybody who called in and, and asked questions. Um, okay, well, I just had one last question. I think she kind of answered it. Um, when you meet a trans person, it should the first thing you ask is, what is your pronoun? Because I, I don't know, I think you might know Flame Monroe. There was a scandal with her on The Breakfast Club where she said she she doesn't care if you call her he, she, or we, because she's all of that, you know. So should we ask what is the proper pronoun to address you every time we meet a trans person? So I would say don't ask them what their pronouns are because we never want to assume that someone, by looking at them, that they are trans. Um, But what I will say is, um, for example, if I was getting to know someone um, who, um, even if I didn't know if they were trans, I would introduce myself and I would say my pronouns. And if they see that you're doing that, then they'll let you know what their pronouns are. You may get some weird looks, but it's a good practice. It is a best practice to, to implement because it's allowing people to feel safe enough to identify their pronouns with you and even open up about even if they are trans or not. So I would be like, hi, my name is Mallory. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Nice to meet you. So I'm not asking them for their pronouns directly, but I'm stating my pronouns, so that way that makes them feel comfortable to share theirs, if that makes sense. Okay. One more comment. One more comment over in the show chat room, and then I'm turning it back over to Charlotte to end the show, the program. Um, Please come back. TJ Dub says, please come back. There's so much more to share. So um, there you have it. I will okay. be back. You all let me know, and I will, I will be there. I'm, I'm like the Jackson Five. Just call my name, and I'll be there. <laughs> okay, Mallory. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, and we will talk soon. And good night yeah. to everybody. Thank you for calling in.
Oh, Charlotte, could I say that um, tomorrow on the network is our regular Focus Females Global Chat Cafe at 9 a.m. Eastern Time here on the Healing Through Her Die Talk Radio Network. Um, So feel free to join us, same number, 646-478-4726. And as soon as you tell me when you want to set up your next show, we will have this um, set up for you all. Um, this has been very enlightening. I still do have like 8,756 um, questions, but I hope Gene got all of his taken care of tonight. And um, I'm turning it back over to you. And uh, as we begin, the name of that uh, your opening uh, song is Where I Want to Go by Cassandra Allen. So I just wanted to throw that out there as your opening piece. And... Um, Thank you so much for having Mallory on. And Mallory, thank you for coming because this this has been, as everyone has said, you know, it's a general consensus that this has been very enlightening. And um, I do hope that uh, Charlotte can schedule you to come back soon. Yes, I would love to. Again, I'm available. And again, thank you all so much for having me on. And I really do appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Mallory. Have a good night. Thank you. Bye-bye.